Hey there, On The Pulse listener. Are you ready to become a nurse? No matter your background, it's not too late to change course and take the leap into nursing. The Johns Hopkins School of Nursing's Master of Science in Nursing Entry into Nursing program is designed for students with a bachelor's degree in another discipline who are ready to discover the many rewards of becoming a nurse. Graduates will be top-notch nurses with unlimited choices, ready to practice wherever and however you choose. To learn more or apply, visit nursing.jhu.edu slash on the pulse. I'm Tamar Rodney, and you're listening to On The Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. Our guest today is Kelsey Sable, the 2022 Gertler Scholarship recipient from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Kelsey served as a literacy and community health volunteer with the United States Peace Corps in Uganda from 2014 to 2018. Her work focused on health education and health advocacy. She hosted a local radio show on malaria, HIV, AIDS, and water sanitation, and she led women's reproductive health workshops, helping women craft reusable menstrual pads out of low-cost materials. It's great to speak with you today, Kelsey. Nice to speak with you as well. So Kelsey, as we mentioned in the intro, you are a return Peace Corps volunteer and you've worked in a variety of areas during your service. I would love to hear more about your experiences and also hone in on your work with HIV AIDS as early this month, we recognize December 1st as World AIDS Day. So how about we start with your experiences in the Peace Corps? What were you doing? Yeah, you covered a lot of what I did. Technically, I was a primary school literacy specialist. That was my main mission, but that sent me to work in a small government primary school. So my primary focus was at a school, but I quickly realized I can't really teach anyone if no one's showing up to school. So you have to take a step back and figure out, you know, adjust the hierarchy of needs, adjust the health element first. So really my first six months was just observing, gaining, integrating into the community, learning the language, and starting to work with the teachers and community members on identifying what the issues were and what the blocks were preventing kids and even teachers from getting to school and even the parents, even one more setback, preventing parents or family members from being able to get their kid to school. And of those, of course, HIV, AIDS came up, malaria, some hepatitis. And the biggest thing for me was menstruation. And seeing girls and women missing school one week every month because they had their period was something that I felt, I don't want to say easy because no solutions oriented thinking is ever easy, but it was something that I felt very equipped to do being a female who's also dealt with the same thing. So those were my primary projects. And HIV was something that a lot of foreign aid obviously has been poured into the entire continent of Africa, but specifically to the country of Uganda. And it was interesting to see the billboards and the PSA commercials around HIV. So it seems it would be really easy to perceive it to be a country where everyone knows 
about HIV. Everyone understands how testing works. Everyone understands how transmission works. But really, once you got on a grassroots level and you were having day-to-day conversations, that's when you understood that the stigma was still very much there. And the gap of education very much was there. And there was just a lot of opportunity to further instill that knowledge that they maybe were seeing on billboards and really bring it home on a more personal level. That's wonderful. Can I ask you two clarifying questions? So what was your background in healthcare before that made you so interested in this area? And what felt like you know what to do? What was your background before coming into nursing? Before coming into nursing, a lot of my background was in obviously Peace Corps doing a lot of health education. And then I also have experience with birthing people. So I'm a birth doula started that like a year and a half ago, but always have been fascinated by labor and delivery and by maternal child health because my work even outside of the Peace Corps, but internationally dealt a lot with women. Being able to advocate for women and birthing people really helps the entire family unit. That's wonderful. And then you saw multiple issues and multiple barriers, but one of the ones that you're very passionate about is how do you help women getting access to uh, menstrual pads for once and using what you described as reusable material? Can you walk me through how you came up with this as a solution for these women? So this was something I had identified with my teachers that girls were being bullied. I remember a day walking into school and one of my students was walking away. She was really upset. And I was talking to her about what was wrong. And she explained that she had blood on her skirt and kids were laughing at her. And this was just something that broke my heart. Cause I also remember personally being in, you know, middle school and similar things happening and just having so much shame around that. And that's something that I think we're still working on here in the States and across the world of, body neutrality and body positivity and not having the shame around menstruation. So in working with her and talking to her, I started to go on a personal adventure and personal research study of, okay, what do people do who have their periods? It's not as easy as, oh, just go buy a tampon, go buy a pad or stay home from school. That's not, these aren't options. Although people do tend to fall on the ladder just from the element of shame. And because of this lack of education and because of the lack of understanding of what was even happening to my body. You know, why am I bleeding? And then not having anyone to talk to about it and not ever engaging in that type of education. So then I ended up working with some other Peace Corps volunteers. And thankfully I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. I'm very happy to say that I did not invent rumps. I kind of made my own patterns and found ways to make it more efficient, more low cost, more accessible, but rumps, reusable menstrual pads, RUMP, Those were something that had been passed around, but admittedly, a lot of Peace Corps volunteers just hadn't broke the barrier of getting permission from their community to have these conversations. So it took a lot. I think my whole first year of Peace Corps was really just getting my foot in the door and earning the respect of my community to start to have these conversations and then easing my teachers and my community into it. So starting with just the female teachers who this very much did affect them. And then you know, the next workshop, having some of the male teachers be a part of it if they wanted to. Then, you know, having some of the P7 students come in and definitely took some time. It definitely couldn't have been done day one. If I walked in there and said, I'm going to teach you how to make rumps, I would not have been received very well in the community. So it definitely was earning some respect and then seeing how to disseminate the information. 
No, that's wonderful. So it sounds what you're describing is first going the education route to break down some of those barriers, but leaving them with something physically, which you're describing as the rumps. So we also mentioned um, briefly that you hosted a local radio show. Can you tell me more about what that experience was like talking about malaria and HIV AIDS on a radio show? Yes, I was in the West Nile region of Uganda and we did have a radio station. I was asked to be a guest on one of my friend's shows one day. He was like a local rapper and wanted to have the Ikaru was my name. It means happiness in Lubara, the language that I spoke. So they wanted to have, you know, teacher Ikaru on. So I came on and they got really positive feedback that I don't know if it was the Mzungu or the white person speaking Lugbara, the language, or if it was just our conversation that we had, but they said we want more. So then I worked with the radio station and we kind of talked about what types of shows could work best. And we started with just small like PSA, almost like commercials around malaria. And my students actually wrote a song about malaria. And then, yeah, people just said, we want more. Again, it's all about access. So much easier for me to get on a radio station or to get different counterparts I was working with on a radio station and literally bring the information to everyone's doors, everyone's living rooms, everyone's kitchens that they might be cooking in versus figuring out a way to either bring everyone to the school or get me and everyone else out. So it really was the best way to reach the most amount of people. That's wonderful. A new name, a new language, a new singing skills, maybe. Um, That's wonderful, Kelsey. (laughs) So tell me, what was the state of HIV AIDS in Uganda when you were there? Um, You started in 2014. And why did you feel it was important to still address this in different ways on the radio show? I loosely touched on this at the beginning of our conversation, but Peace Corps, you have your two or three month training. So in that two or three month training, before you even get to your site, you learn a lot of general information. We learned that, you know, HIV was taught in schools. It's a part of the curriculum. They have books on it. It's in the libraries. This is all the funding that has been funneled in by Western aid. So I went in bright eyed and bushy tailed thinking, okay, these are conversations that's been had. This will be great. I'll be able to work with my counterparts to, you know, have these conversations or bring different programs to the school. And then in actuality, it's kind of like that meme that goes around where it's like Instagram versus reality. The Instagram was very much me in my PST. So it's like beginning training, thinking that these conversations were being had everywhere. And especially we're being trained next to the Capitol. So obviously a lot of resources. And then I go 10 to 14 hour bus ride up towards the border of South Sudan, where I was. And there's not even a library. The library has been locked for years. And whatever those government books were that maybe talk about HIV are in a language that my students don't speak. And they are moldy and rotted in the corner of this room that has never been accessed. I don't have the statistics off the top of my head of where HIV AIDS was at. I know we had made strides in the decades prior of at least improving education and improving testing rates and transmission rates and education around that. But I think the other thing that I I just was never able to touch on on a larger scale was homosexuality. And that's a conversation that, you know, it's illegal in Uganda. I think they've maybe since I've left, there's been some progress made in terms of the legality of things, but people were killed. You just didn't talk about it. And it was because of a lot of the religious influence, a lot of 
Western missionaries that had flooded to Uganda and a lot of different interpretations of the Bible of what is right and wrong. And there was such a correlation and such a stigma of homosexuality and HIV that people were so afraid to talk about having HIV that they got in a different way. Maybe they got from their mothers or they got through a shared needles. But I think over time, I think just focusing on being very objective, you know, having workshops on very much the black and white of, and slowly starting to wipe away some of the stigma and some of the myths around HIV was what we really could do. And then just in hopes where the kids and the generation that we were teaching when their leaders, when their parents, when the ripple effect is carrying on, they at least have this information to make some progress over time. Obviously, a lot has been done. And one of the ways you have made progress in that part of that process is education. For the people of Uganda surrounding HIV AIDS, what would you say might be an important next step to further help them? Increasing access to testing, And I think even we're working on that here. I think everywhere we're working on that, finding ways to bring it to more communities, people not wanting to know that they're positive, very much so. So the effort to go take a day trip into the local hospital to be tested with the fear of then being, you know, someone finding out and then being exiled from their community. So not only access to testing, but then resources for, you know, once you are positive, very much can live the normal healthy life that you are living right now, still being just as productive member of the society, a leader, you can still have a family. Like that is what is lacking, at least from my experience living there. And then just role models who can say and be expanders for people and say, hey, I'm HIV positive and I'm a leader and I'm a mom and I'm a dad and I'm going to college. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity to just show that this isn't this taboo thing. It's people sitting on the bus right next to us and that we can all you know, work together to make progress in our community. I think a lot of people would agree with you that education continues to remain an important part of the conversation and a part of solving some of these issues. And you're actually taking that to heart and practice. So since you're experiencing the Peace Corps, you have now decided to further education now as a nurse. And what are you hoping to do as a nurse? And is there anything that specifically brought you to a career in nursing? Yes, very much my Peace Corps experience abroad. I originally went into the Peace Corps as a pre-vet student, but then I got into the Peace Corps and I really saw the impact of nurses, global health and global health equity. And I saw that it's not even about the number of days you have on this earth. It's about the quality of the day that you have in front of you. And that is health. So I was really interested in public health. And then I kind of took a step back and I think eventually I'll get back into public health and global health, which is a goal for me, but I really wanted to understand how to do the hands-on technical skills. I wanted to be able to touch the patients and physically provide some sort of relief to make somebody feel better. So working in a lot of education and then really just, again, maternal child health, I saw the impact of it on a global scale. So I wanted to obviously go to the best (laughs) program that I could. And I found out I got into Johns Hopkins and I said, of course. So I'm just really excited here. I love the conversations around global health equity. I love, there's a huge Peace Corps community here. And what do I hope to do with it? Very interested in uh, labor and delivery. And also just, I love fast paced environments in general. So I think I'll do well really across any 
any department in nursing, but I can really see myself thriving in emergency critical care. But labor and delivery is like really a sweet spot for me because you get a little bit of everything. You end up getting a new patient out of nowhere. You know, you start with one, you end up with two. So I just think it's very much my scene and I want to practice bedside and who knows that could be five years, that could be 20 years, and then maybe eventually go the NP or midwife route. But I'm really open to seeing where this education takes me and seeing, just saying yes to as many opportunities to get involved in research, even opportunities to return to working abroad. My dream would be to somehow live a Peace Corps lifestyle abroad, but to not be a volunteer for the rest of my life. So (laughs) we'll see where I end up. It sounds like an exciting career in nursing is waiting for you and all the options are available at the School of Nursing as well at Hopkins. So you speak with such excitement about your time in the Peace Corps. Can you tell us what might be the most significant takeaway from those years? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that I learned, you know, I always talk about the quality over quantity mindset, and it's not about you know, working with everyone and doing every project. It's about making sure that that one person, you can look back and say, hey, I know that I made a positive impact on that one person's life. And I like to think that it was obviously more than that, but really just focusing on doing that one thing really well. And so for me, it's, you know, focusing on doing what I can really well in terms of taking that Peace Corps knowledge into applying it to nursing. You know, I might not be able to fix everything that's going on, but in that moment that I have with them, being able to make sure that they feel seen, heard, cared for, listened to in the time that I have with them. Gosh, that sounds so wonderful and exciting. And we look forward to your career and hopefully catching up with you in a few years to see where you are. You've had a really interesting journey, interesting experiences, and we appreciate you sharing it with us today. I had so much fun. I can't wait to come back again soon. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also find us on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com slash nurse. Be sure to also check out our On The Pulse blog. You can learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening.